Meet Matt Baird, the Boulder translator. I want to be a pilot. I think every young boy wants to be a pilot. I wanted to be a professional skier. When I was really young, that was that was my dream. Yes. My first job after college was as a translator. It was maybe not so smart hiring a 25-year-old German studies major who'd never translated a word in his life. But I literally had an Ernst Technical Dictionary and a Duden Dictionary. And I was doing everything with those two dictionaries. I did not mind sitting at my computer on a Friday night or all day Saturday translating because I felt like I felt like I was doing something real. I took Spanish in high school. I absolutely loved it. But interestingly enough, I think I was sort of short-sighted at the time and didn't ever think of that as a potential career. Nor did anyone in my high school in the very small town that I lived in offer me any advice or say, Matt, you have a knack for languages, or maybe I didn't have a knack for languages. I don't know. I just, but I, I, I was very good in Spanish. I enjoyed it. That I never got any direction saying, Matt, you should consider, you know, languages as a career. So it never even occurred to me. I loved hanging out with our international exchange students. I became very good friends with several in high school. This was another thing that I, I, I look back now and I think, you know, why didn't the bell go off? off you know the light bulb go on at that moment after high school i went to college at the university of colorado and i really had no direction i had no idea what i wanted to do with my life i had no real interests you know other than skiing and um skiing instructor doesn't pay very well let's put it that way sometimes on really busy stressful days i wish i would have gone down that road I tried a lot of different things, and after three semesters, I was pretty much done with college because I just didn't know what I wanted to do, and I decided I was going to move to the mountains and literally get a job at a ski resort and just work for a while until I figure things out. And at that moment, I met a German girl. That is literally where, it's where my relationship with Germany started. She was working in Colorado. And uh, yeah, I was young, 19, I fell in love and followed her back here and ended up staying for a year and a half. Couldn't get a job on the economy because I couldn't speak any German, but I ended up getting a job in Karlsruhe at the American military base. I didn't need a visa, I got a military ID, I was able to stay in the country and um, stayed for a year and a half. And the relationship didn't last, but I always like to say, my relationship with Germany did. And I have some lifelong friends from that first um, year and a half. Our best man at my wife and I's wedding uh, was uh, a guy I met that first year. Yeah, that was that was kind of the beginning. After that year and a half, I went back and it was no doubt. I got back to the University of Colorado and declared a German major. Immediately, I knew that I enjoyed learning the language and I wanted to continue. I didn't really know what I wanted to do with it, um, but I did 
see this as an opportunity. I felt like I had found something. My first job after college was as a translator. It was not on my radar screen at all. And one of my advisors asked me one day if I could translate German into English. And I was like, well, I don't know. I've never really done it before. I said, I speak German. Her friend was the CEO of a company in Boulder that was the uh, U.S. branch office of a German machine tool manufacturer. And uh, they were either not aware of uh, translation agencies and that they can outsource it or they wanted to – I actually never answer, asked the question because I wasn't aware of the industry at the time. So they hired me as an intern. I worked there 15 hours a week while I was still going to school my senior year. And when I graduated, they hired me right away. And I translated everything from the daily correspondence that came in via fax, uh, not even by I mean, we had email, but the company did not believe in email at the time. They felt they felt official official communication needed to go by via fax. They also believed that official uh, communication needed to, to be done in the native language because I heard after I got there, there had been a few miscommunications and a few problems. And they boiled that down to the Germans trying to write in English. So the decision was made that the Germans would write everything in German and it would be translated on on the U.S. side. So that that was basically the reason that I got the job. It was maybe not so smart <laughs> hiring a 25-year-old uh, German studies major who'd never translated a word in his life other than one one semester translation class in Marburg, Germany. <laughs> I worked there for just shy of two years, and it was a really amazing experience on a number of levels. One is I became aware of this profession. And at first, it was just little old me working with this German lady, and literally I had two dictionaries on a desk, and a, a, and Google was like – I don't think Google even existed at the time. I was searching with Yahoo or whatever with whatever internet existed at the time, but I literally had an Ernst technical dictionary and a Duden dictionary, and I was doing everything with those two dictionaries. What I didn't know, I went and talked to the engineers and the machine operators, and that was worth its weight in gold because – as an in-house with direct access to these people, I learned a heck of a lot about mechanical engineering and specifically the machine tools that they were that they were designing and selling that which made my translations when I got a fax or I got a brochure or whatever, I understood what was going on. I didn't have to go online and try to figure out what these words mean. And I was able to then render it and 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 these the, a couple of the Germans had been in the business for so long that they knew all the English terminology too. So I started developing my own in-house glossary, which I'm pretty sure they still use to this day um, that they had a, as a reference because they never had it. They all just sort of knew the terms and used them, but they never had it in one place. And that was fabulous. I remember sitting with one one guy, Thomas. I sat in his – must have spent hours in his office, and he would, draw, he would draw pictures and show me how things worked. And then they had a demo center downstairs and I would go hang out with the with the um, with the the operators and they had a couple of operators from Germany that they did maintenance they traveled around to all the customers in the states and did maintenance on the machines and when they didn't have uh, when they weren't out on assignments they were at the, the demo center working on those machines and I'd, I'd be able to go down there and just watch everything in action a tremendous experience that I think very few technical translators who aren't, who don't cross over from, from their field, 
And that just gave me a nice solid foundation. I even went to a big trade show in Chicago as a part of my work. So I got to go over and see, I got to see all the, um, the, the competition and see other things there. Uh, that was, that was a, that was an awesome experience. The second thing is the company really believed in continuing education. And right away, my boss said, you know, we have a, we have a budget for continuing education. I want you to look and see what's out there. And I found the ATA fairly quickly doing some searches and I learned about the annual conference and I did a little looking around and said, okay, this sounds really interesting. This would be for a translator. This sounds like continuing education to me. So I talked to my boss and, and they liked the idea and thought the expense was okay. And they sent me to, and so I went to the conference for the first time in 2000 in, in LA and that was a mind blowing opening eye opening experience because for the first time, I think I was 26 or 27 years old, I realized that there was this huge industry out there that that this huge shadow industry I sometimes refer to it. And I started talking to all these freelance translators and thinking, wow, you can actually make money doing this and there's this there's actually all these people working from home. How cool is that? I started learning about cat tools and about translation memory. Um, I went back and pitched to my boss to buy Trados for me, and I told him that I think it would improve my translations, the consistency. It would help me build the terminology database. He totally agreed and bought me a license right away, um, which is not a huge expense for a company, a one, one license. So that was, that was amazing that without you know, having to shell out my own money, I got to start learning these tools. But I always – in the back of my mind, as I was sitting there doing all this work, I knew, okay, I'm, this is interesting, but I was still thinking about DC the whole time. And I still knew I always wanted to go there. And I, and I did. I, had, I, ha I knew that Georgetown was calling, and I had the application on my desk. And that job, what it gave me was it gave me immediate income right after college, and it gave me great experience. I was one of the few of my friends who was actually working with using a skill that he had learned in college. Many, many people I knew in college that didn't use necessarily use their skills as specifically that as I did. And I thought that was really cool. I was very proud of that, that I was actually working as a translator and at, right after I had gotten a degree in German. But I knew that politics and that was what was, I was drawn to. The semester after I got back to college, that first semester after being in Germany, I took an intro to international affairs class, and I love my professor. It was a huge auditorium. It was an intro class, right? So it was probably 400 people in the class, and I was enthralled. He made it fun. He made fun of politicians. He he was telling jokes the whole time. I was in the in the front ten rows the whole the whole class. I was way in the front of the class, just eating it up. And I literally at the end of that semester, I declared then a double major in international affairs. And all of a sudden, I was looking at State Department diplomacy. The, the military was never something I was really interested in. And I think that's why it wasn't really an angle. I was kind of a military brat. My dad was in for 23 years. And so I think I grew up seeing what that meant and that meant moving around a lot as kids and then him being gone quite a bit i decided pretty early on in my teenage years and early 20s that that wasn't something for me international affairs and transatlantic relations became sort of this thing for me i thought oh that's that's it i lived in germany i understand german culture uh, i speak german 
uh, this this could be this could be it for me. And my dream was to go to go to grad school uh, at Georgetown University. And I was so interested in that one, I didn't apply anywhere else. I literally had applied to Georgetown, and I had the application for the Peace Corps on my desk. If I didn't get into Georgetown, I was going to go. I was going to go in the Peace Corps for a couple of years because I wanted to rekindle my Spanish. I really was loving learning German, and I thought another language would be fun. And I'm still young; why not? Let's do this. But I got accepted to Georgetown, so the uh, the application to the Peace Corps went in the garbage can. I live there inside the Beltway. it is a different culture. After a year and a half in DC, I got burnout. It's very fast. It's very um it's very cutthroat. A lot of people trying to do good work and do good things for the country, but they're also trying to push their own career forward. And I mean, one of the first things they told us to do, they did for us at Georgetown was got us business cards. Get out and network as much as possible. That was like a hammered into your head. Network, network, network. So that when you yeah. when you graduate, you've got this great network of people and you can get a job wherever, State Department, Department of Energy, who knows. I really... After a while, got very tired of that. Very tired of feeling like I was selling myself constantly and in constant mm. competition with everybody around me. Um, plus, I was working. I have to admit, I was working nights and weekends to make the, to pay the rent. There's only so long you can burn the candle at both ends, as my mother likes to say. This is where we segue into translation again. After a year, uh, just over a year in DC, I got a an email or a call. I can't remember from a translation agency in Portland, and they asked me if I was available for work. And they had gotten my resume at that first ATA, I think in LA, a translation agency that didn't mind working with newbies. Uh, and I believe that was probably because of the per word price that that new translators would accept. Uh, they had a rush job for over the weekend, 5,000 words. And I said, sure. I took a look at it and felt like I could do it. And I took it and they had it reviewed and it got very, it got a very good review. And they said, we want to work with you some more. And I said, well, I'm in, I'm in grad school right now. I can, I can work part time. You know how much work, and they said, "Yeah." And, uh, we talked about my the volume that I could accept, and that I would mostly be working weekends, and it worked out great. I quit my job at the restaurant, and I started supporting myself on the side as a translator. And I thought that was absolutely wonderful to no longer be on my feet every Friday night. I did not mind sitting at my computer on a Friday night or all day Saturday translating because I felt like I felt like I was doing something real, something that was developing myself something uh was much more professional than waiting tables even though you can make you can make pretty damn good money in dc waiting tables i have to tell you after about four or five months of of that and i decided i was leaving georgetown 
I'm going to leave here in debt, but I'm not going to spend more money and, and, and be depressed or whatever. It's just to stay here and just to get this degree that I know that I'm not going to use because I'm not staying in this town and I'm definitely not going to go into the State Department. I called or I wrote to this client and I said, listen, I'm looking, I'm thinking about um, increasing my availability and wondering, you know, how much work you have. And they wrote me back immediately almost and said, we have so much German English in your fields right now. We would be able to keep you busy almost full, full time. And I said, hmm, really? And I did the math on that and I said, okay, I can support myself on that on that volume. I literally, within two weeks, I had a U-Haul. I had put a, put a hitch on the back of my car, packed up my place, found somebody to sublet my apartment and drove straight through. Colorado was definitely calling. I had this empty place just waiting for me. Set up my computer and within 24 hours, I was accepting work. It was the best decision, one of the hardest but best decisions I've ever made in my life. I like to be my own boss. I like to work my own terms. This was a profession that I could do for a long time. A girl, again. I do uh, think it is by far the best reason to move overseas. I was invited by uh, my best friend, who I said has become our best man, the same guy I met back in 94. He's a high school gym teacher. And they take their seventh graders skiing every year. And he said, look, I need chaperones this year. And I know you've instructed and you're my best friend. So, hey, this is just a win-win situation. He said, I can't, I can't pay for your flight over. But if you get yourself over here, you'll get an all-expense-paid trip to the mountains. And you just have to teach a bunch of seventh-grade brats every day how to ski. I said, sure, why not? Um, of course, it sounded great. Um, my now wife was on that trip as another chaperone. She's, she is a, uh, a licensed ski instructor. She was there that year, and that's how we met. When anybody asks us where we met, we always say, we met skiing in Austria. It sounds much cooler than we met you know, on a bus uh, on the way to Austria. Pretty much started dating within weeks of that uh, trip. And we had a long-distance relationship for two years. To this day, I firmly believe that because I was a freelancer, I was able to have this relationship. Carolyn, Caroline, my, my wife, was a student at the time. She was finishing up her degree at the University of Cologne. And she, too, had more flexibility as a student to come over and spend longer times with me in Boulder, Colorado. And that helped. So we would still, see, we saw each other about five times a year for, you know, a three to four weeks at a time. She spent an entire summer with me in 2007. She came over for eight weeks. She was writing her thesis and uh, was freelancing. And then I came over here and I could work from here, here being Germany, because uh, that's where I'm speaking to you now from. And 
So I would come over here and spend three to four weeks, even up to five weeks and just work from here. And she would come over. And after a couple of years, we decided, uh, less that we decided, okay, we want to live on the same continent. And I said, okay, I'm, gonna, well, I'm just going to move to Germany and I'll just up and move my freelance business. And at that very time, when we were having this discussion, I went to San Francisco for the uh, ATA conference. There, I ended up meeting the head of the corporate language services of Deutsche Post DHL. Somebody came up to me and said, Matt, you want to live, move to Bonn, don't you? And I said, yeah. And she said, you need to come over and talk to Dorothy. We had a chat and we set up a, an interview the next day in the lobby, I believe. I interviewed and within a few weeks, I had a job offer. When I got the job in Bonn, she got a job in Bonn at the very same time, literally across the street from the office I got. So we we joked for years that we lived four or 5,000 miles apart for two years, and then we not only moved in together into a small 63-square-meter apartment, we also commuted together every day by bike because we worked across the street from each other. Now I've been living in Germany so long that I can picture 50 square meters better than I can 150 square feet. But believe me, I'm on my app. I'm, I'm, I'm calculating on my phone a lot whenever I'm looking at, okay, what the heck is 50, 25 square meters? Yeah, car as well. I drove a Pathfinder in Boulder and we had a, a Volkswagen Polo here in Germany. So all the cliches were there, you know, smaller streets, smaller apartments, smaller cars. Uh, that was something I had to get used to. But we do try to get out, get over a lot, especially now that we, we have kids. I mean, my, my son's three and he's crossed the pond four or five times already. He's actually a frequent flyer. Uh, speak very good English. I think that Germans also overestimate their English skills. The bad thing is that you see, unfortunately, a lot of content, a lot of communications content that is quite obviously written by a non-native speaker. Um, and on the good side is I have a ton of work. I do a lot of editing of non-written of, of English content written by non-natives. I get a lot of briefs for when I write uh, for clients. Um, the brief will be in English. Everything is there that I need. I might have to do a little bit of research online, but typically all of the the, the key points are there. It just needs to be improved. It just needs to be turned into, let's say, for lack of a better way to say it, real English. Sparkle, yeah. I give text uh, uh, the polish it needs to shine. There's so many companies are pumping out so much content these days. Videos and infographics and blog articles and white papers. And just websites now are much more dynamic than they used to be. And they have to have new content every other day. Otherwise, they won't index well on Google. And uh, SEO has to be taken into consideration. So you've got all these new aspects and all this content coming out that it's just for, for me and for the clients that I work for is contributing to. It's just flooding me with work because they, they need to pump it out and they're pumping it out in English. 
Um, because a lot of like Deutsche Post DHL, when you go to their headquarters and you go to a meeting in the post tower, it's gonna, it's, it's nine times out of 10, that meeting's gonna be in English because there's generally speaking gonna be at least one international person in the room and then the, then the meeting's in English. So everybody that's working there, their daily life is in English. There, my wife works for the International Paralympic Committee. Her day is in English. She comes home and tells me about her day. She tells me about it in English because she says, I can't tell you about it in German, it's weird. The international business language is already English. You've got this international company, everybody's communicating in English. So then people start just producing the content in English. All the PowerPoint presentations are in English. All the, you know, the corporate presentation, the product presentation, the marketing presentations, all these things are already in English. And then that starts getting written in English as well. And uh, so that's one of the reasons I started getting more and more work in this field and I, and I, I really enjoy it. I feel like I can really focus on my skills as a writer because of the volume and the speed at which we are, people are writing now. Little thought is being given into really good writing. I had been coming to Germany so much since 1994. So by the time I moved here uh, to be with my now wife and with not knowing how long it was going to be, whether it was permanent or not, the Germany was basically my second home. I've told people for that for years. Now it's my first home. And so that transition wasn't so difficult in that getting to know a new culture a lot of people go through when they move to a new a new country and the various nuances of living in another culture in another country because i think yeah you know you've lived in several different countries and you know that at least around in europe and the u.s the differences aren't huge they're subtle uh, but they are there i know that i at the beginning I used, to, I used to, to refer to Germany as the land of inconvenience, and it's it, it was, and it used to annoy me. I've gotten really used to it now. My wife and I joke about it, and she'll look at me and go, land of inconvenience. And um, But at the beginning, it, it did annoy me at times, You know, not being able to go shopping on a Sunday, right? It's like, come on, people. It's, and I mean, now that's changed. Uh, you still can't shop on Sundays, but you can shop until eight or nine o'clock on a Saturday, which the, I lived in Landau in 94. The, and you went shopping on a Saturday morning. The, the, the grocery store was, was absolutely bonkers. It was just absolutely full because it closed at two, 14, 1400 on the nose. And there was no, that mean from 1400 until nine o'clock Monday morning, there were no groceries unless you went to a gas station which didn't have back then weren't as big convenience stores, I think, uh, at least in Layar nowadays, maybe the ones on the interstate at the time. And I just, this, this whole phenomenon of, and then with the, you know, of course, a long weekend or a vacation that even my German friends would joke, you'd think that there was not going to be any water for the next month, you know, because people would just go and they'd raid the, raid everything if the, if the store was going to be closed for a couple of days. And I just, I couldn't get that because I was already in the late 90s used to 24 hours shopping center shop uh, grocery stores in boulder and i have gone shopping at midnight before it's it's quite pleasant i have to tell you there's nobody there we have a little restaurant we like to go to it's right down the street and you can't pay with a credit card there it's only the debit card ec card and or cash and i've i've that doesn't even bother me more i carry more cash now than i used to and in the states i never carried cash i paid everything with my credit card
move affected me the most was sort of just missing the little things about home that I did no longer had the mountains right in my back door um, living at the foot in the foothills at uh, the base of uh, the foothills of the Rocky Mountains it's a beautiful place the climate in Colorado when you've when you've spent uh, the last several years of your life living in a state that gets over 300 days of sun a year um, that's a little known secret which uh, don't tell any of your listeners but Colorado is has, gets the second most sun uh, on average of any of all the states in the the 48 states it gets more call it more sun than California it gets cold in the winter but I've played golf in January in Colorado But you have the mountains right there. You've got the outdoor effect. And I think that's what I miss the most here. Uh, you know, we live on the banks of the Rhine River now. I literally live about 200 yards from uh, from, from the uh, from the Rhine right now. We live in a little village um, on the on the uh, west, excuse me, the east side of the river, just a few a few miles north of of uh, of Bonn. And I love it here because literally, I walk out my front door and I've got a bike path that goes hundreds of miles in both directions. And uh, and it's I feel like I have nature right in front of my uh, right outside my door, but I do miss the mountains. That was a big part of my life in Colorado. Leaving the things that I loved in Colorado was harder than adapting to life in Germany. And plus, I, I you know I'm head over heels in love with my wife, and at the time it was. I was so happy and ready to move in with somebody. I'd never lived with a significant other before. And uh, so you're you're sort of caught up in all that. A new job, she's got a new job, a whole new life, and just sort of caught up in this new world. We had fun, I I, I loved it. This has been my LangFM conversation with Matt Baird, the US-born, Germany-based translator, editor, and copywriter. If you're curious to find out more about Matt's work, you can listen to him and Tess Witte discussing content marketing on the Marketing Tips for Translators podcast. Oh, and speaking of podcasts... Matt hosts and produces the podcast of the American Translators Association, which you'll definitely want to check out, even if you're not a member yet. More on this soon here on LangFM. So, all those links to Matt's website and his social media profiles and all the earlier episodes of LangFM, of course, can be found on my website at www.langfm.audio www.langfm.audio If you like it, tell a friend or colleague about it. Much appreciated. I'll talk to you soon. On Langfm. <laughs>